Welcome to Homeschool Companion, your source for information, motivation, and inspiration. If you're part of the homeschool community or simply interested in learning more about home-based education, stay tuned. Together we'll examine the latest resources, learning styles, and teaching techniques. We'll speak with experts in the field to help you uncover every homeschool advantage. We'll also present suggestions on how to keep Christ in the curriculum as we explore fresh ways to teach and learn. Here's your homeschool companion host, author, educator, and children's ministry specialist, Dr. Rose Gamblin. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We're going to begin our show with a devotion from Windows on God's World by James A. Tucker called The Baboon Troop. And our verse is taken from Ephesians 4.25, For we are members one of another. A family of baboons is called a troop and may number anywhere from 8 or 10 up to 50. When several troops band together, the group is called a herd. Every member of a troop knows its place exactly and never strays far from where it belongs. For instance, when baboons are moving across country, the less important males go first, followed by females without babies. Then come the young baboons who are weaned from their mothers, In the middle of the advancing troop are the females carrying babies. Closely guarding and following these mother baboons are the important males, including the chief who gives all the orders. Then come more females without young and finally the young males. As you can see, the mothers with babies are protected from all sides by this type of organization. In fact, members of a troop always take very special care of their young. They show almost human love for them and also for the sick and injured. Baboons make sure that a sick troop member doesn't get left behind where the lions or leopards, their main enemies, might get them. The cry of a baby baboon will bring the grown-up baboons running to its rescue every time. In the troop, everyone works together for the safety of every other member. There is a head of the troop, the dominant male, but he doesn't rule by fighting. Actually, there's very little fighting in the troop. The members spend a great deal of time grooming and petting one another instead of fighting. A baboon troop is a good example of how a functioning family, a church family, a home family, a school family, can live and work together for the benefit of every member. Each should help, protect, and encourage the others. Each works with the others that together the family and church may reach their destiny, God's kingdom. Wouldn't that be wonderful if all of our families worked like that? I love that idea. Dear Heavenly Father, I hold up to you our families today. You know, strife and hurt can be the culture of the family, or kindness, mutual respect. That can be the culture of the family. Whatever organization you're working in, whatever circle of influence you are in, may you be a guiding light to creating that culture of kindness. I thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers and for being with us every step of the way. We look so forward to your soon return. All this I pray in thy holy name. Amen. Amen. 
Ta-da! Arts and crafts, that fun time where we connect experiential learning with hands-on activities. And today you can go to my Pinterest site at mrgamblin, the number two, that's spelled all spelled out, M-R-G-A-M-B-L-I-N, the number two. And look at a video there I have for kids about baboons, which kind of mirrors what we read in our devotional this morning. You can also get a free printable baboon pattern there to paint and put together. Or you can just enjoy some of the other things. There's over 400 activities to do in on my board, Windows on God's World. You know, when I said you could make a curriculum out of this devotional, you certainly could. Science, some history, and of course, Bible. Connecting everything about nature to the Bible. Well, uh, whatever you do, you know, use your own creativity. Encourage your kids to help you. Have fun learning. Curriculum Corner. This whole week, we're talking about making your schedule in such a way that you have built-in breaks. So today, we're going to discuss recess. Recess has been debated in traditional school over time, where at a certain age, we don't give students recess, which I find to be a tragedy. I know that in my little K-12 school, I made it optional for the high school students if they wanted to come out when we were going out to recess. And occasionally they didn't. They were busy doing something. They didn't want to come out. But more often than not, not, they came out. Recess is that time where you get an oxygen exchange. You do a little bit of exercise. And even though it might not sound like a relaxing break, you will find yourself getting more energy. It's also a good example for your kids. So I live the rest of my life taking a recess. For example, in recording these shows, I make sure that I give myself a recess and go out, walk around the neighborhood. I have this natural built-in track because I have a cul-de-sac on one end and a cul-de-sac on the other. So I just walk down one side and walk up the other side and then walk back to my house. That's my short break. If I have a little bit of longer time or if it's beautiful weather, I continue on and go down to the creek. I love to go to that creek. And then if I have even more time, I'll walk over to the park. They have a mile long track there with exercise machines for adults. So you can do pull-ups, push-ups, bench presses, and all kinds of things walk on a balance beam. You know, as you get older, you lose your balance if you don't exercise it. And so I always walk on that balance beam or walk on the railroad tracks, use them as a balance beam. So don't hesitate to give yourself a recess every day. So if you start at 10 o'clock, you work for maybe an hour to an hour and a half and you give yourself a recess. And then you work for another hour and take another lunch break or recess. So every hour you're giving yourself some type of a little recess. 
And then, of course, have your rest time after lunch. You'll find yourself having so much more energy, so much more creativity. And your kids are going to at first probably go, no, I want to keep doing this. Can we can we take a recess and be on our digital devices? No. Clear all of that extraneous stimulation out of your mind and take a recess. Questions parents ask. This question comes from Lulu, and Lulu wants to know how do you unschool or homeschool on a low budget? For example, she says she has to work and she has like seven children. Good question. Well, first of all, you take advantage of podcasts like mine that give you lots of free resources and lots of ideas. Second of all, if you have seven children, you have children that are old enough now to help inspire curiosity and motivate younger children. And since you're unschooling, you can do a lot of strewing about. You can lay books out, you can rotate books in and out, and uh, you can encourage cooking because after all, there'll be a budding chef in your family with seven children. One of them will be a budding chef and that would really help you with some delicious food. I know I came from a low income family too. And I tell you, I could make beans every which way. I mean, really bean soup, bean casserole, beans this, beans that, beans with oatmeal, beans with cream uh, cream of wheat. I have learned to do so many things with beans. And it, and now I'm not in that same situation, but growing up, being homeschooled, and being the oldest of four kids, I learned a lot, and you can too. Well, I hope you stay tuned. The next uh, part of our show, we're going to interview Chief Belton, and we're, we'll be right back. Dr. Rose Gamblin, and I come to you each week through the programs of Homeschool Companion, and I'm so blessed to be part of MRG Media Radio Ministry, and I'm giving you the opportunity to be part of it too. We can't stay on the air without your financial support, so take a moment right now during our fundraiser to call you with a gift of any size. As a token of my appreciation for your gift, I have a gift for you. So be sure you call. And my gifts consist of some books that I've written that I've autographed for you. So be sure and call us 301-824-3162. That's 301-824-3162. Or write to MRG Media at P.O. Box 413, Smithsburg, Maryland, 21783. That's P.O. Box 413, Smithsburg, Maryland, Welcome, welcome. I'm here with Chief Belton, and we're going to talk about fire today. Mr. Belton earned his Bachelor of Science degree in fire science from the University of Maryland University College in 2006 and his master's degree in adult education. Now, uh, do I pronounce that Copen or? 
Coppin. Coppin. State University in December 2011. Mr. Belton is single and is the proud father of three children, two women and one girl. Wow. And you're the proud grandfather of four grandchildren, three boys and one girl. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, the beginning of your career started in February of 1994. Yes. That was the day that you entered the Baltimore City Fire Department. Yes. Currently, Mr. I'm going to call you Chief. We just need to have chiefs around here. Chief Belton mm-hmm. works in the Baltimore City Fire Department as a deputy fire chief assigned to the office of the chief shift commander. Prior to being promoted to the deputy fire chief in 2011, Chief Belton has served different in different capacities, including fire investigator, fire battalion chief, fire captain, rescue diver, fire lieutenant, and firefighter. Mr. Belton continues to try and be a positive role model for children and young adults by showing them that hard work and perseverance do pay off when chasing your dreams. Welcome, welcome to our show. Thank you. You know, as I look at your bio, I can't help but think, how do you put those two together? Your commitment to fire safety and adult learning. Adult learning. So, you know, what is adult learning? What, what, what's the term for that? The term for adult learning, there are many theories of how adults learn, but the theory that was used that we're going to discuss tonight is called andragogy. Andragogy. Yes. So for children, it's pedagogy. For adults, it's andragogy. Correct. Andragogy. A-N-D-R-A-G-O-G-Y. Yes. So tell me about the six assumptions for the adult learner. Okay. Well, the six assumptions was based on a gentleman named Malcolm Knowles. He's known as the father of adult learning or andragogy. And his theory states that adults learn based on six assumptions. The the, um, six assumptions are that adults have to have a need to know first. They need to know why something has to be learned. The second assumption is is that adults have the need to be self-directing. In other words, you can't tell them how they're going to learn the new information. They have to learn it in their own way, whether they're going to go online or whether they need to go to the traditional brick-and-mortar classroom. They have the, the, um, the adult wants to be able to determine that on their own to direct their learning. The third assumption is price um, experience. New learning is based on old experience. In other words, in order for the newer learning to be acquired, analogies have to be based on prior learning so that the new learning can set in. The fourth assumption is the readiness to learn, self-explanatory. In order for new learning to take place, the adult has to be ready to uh, learn. Uh, fifth assumption, orientation of learning. How do adults learn? Previously, do you learn? Are you a visual learner? Are they a tactile learner? Basically, by touch and feel, how they remember things. Are they an audio learner? Uh, true uh, holistic learning is, is that if all senses are engaged... That's the orientation of adults, which means that it could be someone that's blind and they have to rely on their extra senses. That goes to their orientation to the learning. The last assumption is the motivation of the adult to learn. 
has to be extrinsic and intrinsic. Intrinsic means that something inside of them wants to know that they need to acquire more knowledge. Extrinsic motivation, more money, better <laughs> status. <laughs> yes. That that um, goes to the motivation of adults to learn. So that's the six assumptions of uh, Andragogy, as um, Malcolm knows, had spelled it out. Now, when you were getting your master's, mm-hmm. uh, you had to conduct research. Explain a little bit about some of the research that... Okay. The research was that that was part of our, um, our exit requirements. And the exit requirements was is that we had to do a research paper based on what um, our major was. My major happened to be adult education, so I had to do a research paper on that. So I wanted to tie it in based on my experiences as a fire investigator because as a fire investigator, I've, I've seen a lot of um, fires investigating them and fortunately a lot of fatal fires also. Mm-hmm. Where I've been on the scene of them. So I was curious to find out was there a correlation between education and fire fatalities is there a correlation there because nationally according to the uh, united states fire administration there is a correlation they say that fatal fires tend to occur among less affluent populations among populations that are economically challenged and they tend to be at a higher percentage african-american so what's your personal theory on the adults that perish in these fires? You know, I think it comes down to two words, ignorance and apathy. Mm. Ignorance, a lot of things they just don't know, and the apathy. People don't just care. don't care about fire safety. They have that mentality, it won't happen to me. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen to me. And then when it's upon them, it's too late then. Don't care. Don't know, don't know, don't care. You know, as I'm listening to your your adult theory of learning, if we would apply that to children too, instead of just forcing them to learn before they're ready or interested in it, right? it really makes our lives a lot easier as educators. So at what age do you become an adult? How do you define the word adult? And you, I'm glad you asked that question. For the purpose now, when I learned about adults, there are different theories. You have the scientific theory, you have the psychological theory of when an adult is Scient- I mean, uh, legally, an adult is 18 and over. Of course, drinking age is 21. <laughs> <laughs> For the purpose of andragogy, adult learning, an uh, adult is defined as where these six assumptions can apply Mm. so technically if you have a 13 year old even though legally they're a child but if they can apply all if these theories all apply the thing is is that that's an adult learner so you would probably have to use some andragogical methods to teach that person but the thing about that's real different between adult learners and children Remember I said that adult learners had prior experience? See, children don't really have that yes, prior experience to lean on, where they have to look at the person doing the teaching. It's kind of like the mm-hmm. oracle to deliver yes. the um, mm-hmm. information to them. That's right. Now, explain a little bit. I, I just 
looking at some of your work here. What is contiguity theory? Contiguity theory. Okay. There was a gentleman uh, named Everett Guthrie. Okay. Everett Guthrie, that's one of the gentlemen I learned about doing my education on education. And he explained that contiguity theory is a um, combination of stimuli, which has a company of movement will on its own occurrence tend to be followed by that movement. So in other words, for example, he used the example of the mouse trying to find the cheese through a maze. Now, once the mouse goes through the maze, he's going to have trouble getting through the maze at first to find the cheese. Eventually, after he do it a few times, and if the cheese is in the same place, he's not going to have no problem anymore. He's going to follow that path that he known from um, that he learned after doing it continuously, continuously. It's going to be almost as if he don't think about it no more. It's going to be like a muscle memory thing. So all of this um, theory, how have you applied it to your everyday experience? Are oh. you educating your workers? Are Absolutely. You- and, ap- and actually, an application of contiguity theory is used at... Um, doing our training in the fire service. And a good example of this is that firefighters are taught by training and experience what specific actions should be taken when operating. And um, it's called IDLH. That means immediately dangerous to life and health. An example of that would be a smoke-laden environment. Now, um, so, now repeat that again. Uh, an I- IDLH. IDLH. Because every... every um, Occupation has its own kind of jargon. Right. And education has all these. Yes, it does. <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> but it means anything that's immediately dangerous to life and health. It could be smoke laden. You could have high level carbon monoxide. That's considered okay. immediately dangerous to life and health. IDLH. So what firefighters are taught is that if the smoke, if they basically if they can't see their feet. They to drop down. Okay. The reason why is because the heat is high mm-hmm. and it's less towards the floor. Okay. And that's almost like it's instinctive mm-hmm. where they don't even have to think about it. So that's an example of um, a movement that's taught. And they taught it over and over again, whereas they don't think about it. Mm-hmm. They're going to um, smoke, smoke laden environment or burning building. And we want to teach children, too, to... Absolutely. To have those things instinctively. It becomes their associative nature, even, to... If they get caught on fire, to stop, drop, and roll. Right. And, you know, if they did that over and over and over again, it would become instinctive. But the problem is, is that unless they actually exposed to a fire or anything like that, mm-hmm. they don't really have that experience to do the stop, drop, and roll. There's something that's Mm -hmm. actually happened, whereas firefighters, they do it all the time. Mm -hmm. They have the experience in addition to the training. So the two kind of like got to go together. Mm -hmm. If one is lacking of the other, Mm -hmm. then that kind of like explains where the stress kicks in and you go into the fight or flight. We've come to the end of this part of the show. I know we're going to just have to... uh, bring you back because I've just begun to ask some of the challenges of working in a big city fire department. We'll have one last thing to say and that is God bless.
You have been listening to Homeschool Companion, a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com.